is dead. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, help us to let go of preconceived notions, what we've been taught over the years, and let us embrace what James shares with us in this passage that we might indeed truly live out what You've called us to without excuse, without question, but knowing that our hearts and our minds and our faith are in the proper order in Your kingdom. Heavenly Father, thank You for that. In the name of Jesus, Amen. The sermon title is D-E-A-D, Dead. If you're wondering what that means, it's an acrostic. The first D word in the, uh, the D word is diluted faith. The E word is empty works. The third is acts of division. And the fourth is D-E-A-D, faith. And we're going to unpack this because a lot of folks miss this. And, and there's clues throughout the book of James to what this is talking about. But every time I've heard someone preach this passage or teach this passage, they've missed it. They forgot that James wrote this passage and they connected to what the Apostle Paul said and then transpose what Paul said on it and then make Paul's stuff incorrect scripturally also. It's very disheartening for me to see that that they pull it out of this whole book and say, this is what James is saying. And James already said what he's saying. He's just emphasizing it here. This emphasis should catch us as a, a no-brainer after what he said previously, but we don't make the connection because we pull it out and say, well, you know, faith without works is dead. you got dead faith or live faith. But that isn't what the dichotomy of faith is. It's not a you have a, a living faith or a dead faith. I've even preached this before. Your faith is alive or it's dying or it's dead. And I, I got it wrong. I'm going to tell you that. So if you've ever heard me say in a sermon, hey, you know, faith is either living, dying, or dead. That's not what James is saying. I also have preached this verse out of context. Which is why I can say what I'm saying because I have learned the wrong way. So when I was working on this sermon this week, and I let it work on me a little, I understood the context because we've been working through the book of James. James is very, very practical. He's very, very concise in what he does. I don't know about you, but I've seen in my own life evidence of a deluded faith. I've seen it in churches. I've seen it in other believers. And this morning, I want to clarify what a healthy faith in Christ is. And we're going to get to that. And I hope this message helps you. But at the same time, you're going to see yourself in here thinking the way this world thinks. Which is what James is trying to stop us from doing. Why is He doing this to us, we say. Why is He making me crazy? He's challenging everything I believe. No. He's not challenging everything you believe. He's trying to let you know what you've been taught through society is wrong. So, 
in the book of James, I'm going to capture some of the earlier verses so you can put them all together to get to the context. I think this will help you a lot. And the first thing that we need to look at is when he said into the uh, first chapter where he's talking about the gifts from God, that faith is a gift from God. There is no shadow of turning with God. And he also says, if someone is a doer of the Word and not a hearer only, otherwise they're being deceived by themselves. So, now no, hear, hear, the, hear this carefully. This is where he says that in verse 21 and 22. He says, lay aside all the filthiness, wickedness, and receive the implanted Word with meekness, which is able to save your soul, but be doers of that Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Right? If you're a doer, then you're not like the person who looks at themselves and forgets who they are in the mirror. We talked about the image in the mirror that we sometimes see, and that image isn't the image of what we look like, but according to James, we forget the manner of person we are when we look at God's law and His love and His law of liberty. We forget what kind of person we are. Not what do we look like, but what kind of person we are in God's sight. And that is a terrible thing to forget. So, he begins to say then, pure and undefiled religion is to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and keep yourself unspotted from the world. Again, doing some things, caring for the um, those who are unpossessed in this world. And then, in chapter 2, we've been talking about partiality, where sometimes partiality happens, where we treat one person different than another. Or we recognize a wealthy person but not the poor person in our midst. Or we honor the rich and dishonor the poor. And so show partiality. And then he says from the message last week about the law of liberty that we've been mentioning a couple of weeks now. He says if you... Keep the law, but stumbling apart, you're guilty of it all. And so we're all in the same boat as being guilty of breaking the law. We're all transgressors. We're all sinners by a decree. Alright? So, that is the background for this passage. Be doers. God gives perfect gift of faith. Don't show partiality. And we're all in the same boat according to sin. Now, this passage, when it starts off, it says, So, what does a prophet, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works, can faith save him? Can your faith save you? Now, I'm going to be very clear on this, and I'm going to unpack what that question is asking, because it breaks away from our understanding of what it means by faith. Faith is a lot different than what the world presents to you. The answer is your faith cannot save you. Very simple answer. I have never seen faith save anybody. I have seen 
the blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary with His death and resurrection save everybody that's willing. But your faith, no. Your faith cannot save you. It's God's grace that saves you. You enter that by faith of Jesus Christ and you enter into that relationship. That's a very key component of this message. That we enter into that relationship of Christ's faith. And that is how Christianity is birthed, or if you will, the relationship with Jesus Christ becomes real to us and begins. Now, that's why he says, if someone says that he has faith but doesn't have works, can that faith save him? I'm going to cheat a little and skip down. There's a verse that says even the demons have faith. They believe in God. That's faith. But they're not getting salvation, are they? That faith isn't going to bring him into heaven. Faith is actually a twofold, if you will, manifestation from God. The first one is the faith that we all believe in something. Even atheists believe in something. And agnostics and others, and even the devils believe in something. Now that kind of faith is what the world calls faith. Alright, it's believing in something, uh, trusting, uh, I have faith in that, or I have faith like this. This kind of faith is not the gift of faith that we're talking about in Scripture. This is a manifestation of faith that each person has the ability to believe and does believe in something. Whether, whether I've heard people say, well, I don't believe in dancing. I said, yeah, I'll go to a club, you'll see it all the time. Someone said, I don't believe in smoking. And I said, go outside and see people all the time. You'll see, you don't have to believe in it. It's real. Whether you believe... You see, that's faith and belief then get juxtaposed there, don't they? It's not the same thing. What they mean is, I don't do those things. I don't promote those things. That's what that kind of statement means. But the belief there is actually supposed to be, I don't put my faith in dancing. I don't put my faith in smoking. It, I don't believe it's a part of who I am in my faith. Now, in that way, faith is more like a noun. It's something that you own. Something that you have. But the truth is, faith is a verb. Faith is a verb. That means it's a moving thing. It's action. But we don't see it that way. See, the second kind of faith is a parting of, a parting of faith that comes by the hearing of the Word of God. It says, faith comes by the hearing of the Word. Right? Now, we, we hear sermons and you know, Bible studies. We read the Scriptures. doesn't mean we've heard it. This hearing talks about when the Word gets in and gets down into your heart and starts to make a transformed difference inside of you. This seed, uh, faith if you will, begins to grow and transform you from the inside out. That's when you've heard the Word of God and faith is coming that way. That faith is a gift of God because it's the Word of God growing in you. That's a different faith than a faith that is, I believe in uh, Santa. Different kind of faith, isn't it? But 
in our society, we interchange those words and think it means the same thing. And so when we hear the word, we unpack it with the wrong components. Now, if since faith is a gift from God coming from the Word of God and planted in you, then it has to be that seed that grows and begins to do things inside you that makes you faith out in your life. Acting in faith, doing things. If you have faith, but don't have works, that faith, can it save you? The answer again is no. So, he says, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, we're not talking about you know someone who just needs a little handout all the time, and, but destitute of daily food. We're talking a person who doesn't have anything whatsoever to eat and no prospect. And you say to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and be filled in the name of Jesus. But you do not give them the things which are needed for that, their body. How have you helped them? But here's what he says. You can see it on the screen. What does it profit? And you're going, well, you know, I've wished them well in Jesus. I feel better about that. I've told them that I'm praying for them. I've encouraged them. You know, I've done all these things. And, and we think we've done enough. When people say, please pray for me, they also might mean, I have a serious need. Can you help me? They might mean that. But if you go, yeah, I'll pray for you, and you think you're off the hook because you didn't ask and they didn't tell, where's our obligation here? What does it profit us if we just wish people well? Have we truly believed that God is trying to provide for their needs and we're not to be a part of that work. We talked a couple weeks ago that we are God's grace in action. We are God's grace in action. That action comes from that seed faith that's in us. That seed faith isn't in you, then that God's grace in action won't come through you. We get a little further here. And James, when he says, Thus, also, faith by itself, if it does not have work, is dead. Now, we looked at the diluted faith, and what I was talking about at the beginning, we looked at the empty works, and I want to talk about the acts of division. The acts of division are like this. Someone says, I believe in Christ but I treat others like I don't love them or care for them or honor them as equal to me, as one with me. My acts show division in my understanding of the faith of Christ. Christ came to bring us to a place where we love with God's love. When we show partiality, when we ignore widows and orphans, when we show favoritism one over another, those are acts of division. And yet we say we're doing those things out of righteousness, out of love, 
out of respect for God and His house, for respect for ourselves, for our community, whatever reason we're putting there, we're justifying that the acts of division that we're creating are okay. But again, those acts divide people. They don't bring them together. God has called us to the act of reconciliation. That we are to reconcile this world back to the Father through the Son. And we are given the job as ambassadors of that good news. Not to cause further division by saying, yes, you're okay. No, you're not okay. We're all not okay without Jesus. And we all need Jesus. Some of us finally figured it out and some of us still working on it. You know what I mean? There's some people that haven't got a clue that they need Jesus. And there's some folks who realize without Him they've come to nothing. And Jesus said this, "With Apart from Me, you can do nothing. And Jesus said, Without My Father, I can do nothing. Amen. So you got... Jesus saying, I can't do anything without my Father. And He's saying, without me, you can't do anything either. If you don't catch that Jesus is trying to mirror the relationship with the Father to us, we start creating division. You see, denominations spring up because they don't want to agree and reconcile on the fact that their job is to love one another. Oh, but, but this church believes this and I can't go there because they believe that. But what are they doing with their faith? Can you believe that? Can churches come together and pool their resources for common good or do they want to stay apart and do less? We always say a group can get more done than an individual. Yet here we are having churches doing things on their own. And as you all know, one of the visions I've had for this church is a, a, a region-wide three-on-three tournament. And that involves the whole region and other churches getting involved. It's not about, hey, look, we're going to be a great church to go to. No. Look at this great God that brings people together for a purpose and we can share the good news that God unites. He doesn't divide. God is not divided. He's not deluded. He's not dead. He is who He says He is and He does what He says He does. God is is still who He said He was and He always will be. We keep forgetting that. And so we think it's okay as His followers to put forth a non-godly front and say it's okay because it's not right what other people are doing. And we blame others for our behavior. Just not appropriate. Not only is it not appropriate, it is a sign to you, hopefully, that God's still got some work to do on you. Some seeds of faith to plant in your heart that are still being choked out by the cares of this world. So what do we do about this? Let me say it again in verse 17. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. He's not saying, all oh, this faith was alive and now it's dead. That's the dichotomy that's been in my brain ever since I've read this verse or heard it preached. It's a, a live faith and a dead faith. It's not what he's saying. Alive, dying, or dead. It's not what he's saying at all. 
What he's saying is a dead faith is a faith that doesn't believe in God. A faith that doesn't have the faith of Jesus Christ. That's a dead faith. A living faith is in Jesus Christ. There's a living faith and a dead faith. You either live and walk in Jesus Christ, or you have a dead faith. Well, how do you know? You don't do anything. That's a dead faith. Jesus Christ compels us by His power inside of us to do something. Not doing something to prove we love Jesus, but because we do, He's inside us and we can't help ourselves. Because I love. I love. Love like that is contagious. Transforming. And it'll, it'll surprise you if you're the one doing it. You go, how did I do that? You didn't. God in you did it. And praise Him for it. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's the faith that the demons have. They believe in God and they tremble. That's a dead faith. That isn't going to save anybody. They know Jesus is the Son of God. They know He died on the cross for the sins of the world. They know He resurrected from the dead. They know all this. And they believe that that's all true. But they are not having living faith. They have dead faith. Satan knows all that's true. It's a dead faith. When you walk with Jesus Christ, you have what's called a living faith. Well, you know, I haven't been doing much work. This is how I used to preach this thing, right? We have a faith and we stop doing things and our faith starts to die. No, your faith doesn't start to die. You don't have it like, oh, I've got it and I'm going to lose it. I used to uh, use it like a muscle, you know. Faith, if you use it like a muscle, gets stronger. Now, that may be true if it's a living faith. But a dead faith, you can work it out all you want. You're just going to be a dead strong dude. That's it's plain simple. It'll look good maybe, all physique, but you're still going to be dead. I once heard a couple of people who went to a funeral for for an atheist. They looked in the casket and they said, oh, look, he's all dressed up and no place to go. (laughs) He had a faith, but it was a dead one. Because we all believe something. That's the dead faith. The living faith is only the faith that comes in a relationship with Jesus Christ and you'll know it's true in yourself and others when you're loving with God's love in your relationships, your actions, and begin to walk that out. And, and how does that look walked out? James said it again. No partiality. No favoritism. Helping the poor. The poor. Hmm. Some folks say, uh, that's me. <laughs> i got to help myself. I'm the poor. That, that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is God gives you occasion and resource to help someone who has nothing. Believe it or not, there's always someone poorer than we are. And some people are going, you don't know how poor I am. You don't know how rich you are. This country is amazingly well off compared to many. As a matter of fact, some per capita incomes are $213 a year for a family. Some countries live on that. You try that. 
You say, oh, I can't do that. Why? Uh, you said there can't be anybody poorer than you. You must be making less. So you are trying that. fact is, you are not trying that. You don't understand poor until you see someone poorer than you. But listen to this. Helping the poor, that's not the only thing he says. He says to acknowledge that God is the one who gives good gifts. That's, yeah, it sounds easy, but we miss this one so easy. In a living faith, anything that's horrible, tragic in our world, we never ascribe that to God doing that. Because we know a living God is trying to bless this world and transform it and reconcile it. He's not trying to destroy it. He's not trying to ruin you. He's not trying to tell you you're a bad person. He loves you with an everlasting love. God knows how to love you. And He loves you the right way. And so, yet all these things, we know we know the commandments, we've heard all these things, but living faith delights in those commandments because it says, yeah, of course, why would I steal from someone? I love them. Why would I murder somebody? I love them. Why would I ever think of not honoring God? He's my first and foremost love. Why would I ever put anything above Him, any image or any uh, idol above God? Why would I do that? I love Him with an everlasting love. We wouldn't even think of it. The commandments are just for folks who don't get the law of love that does those things without having to be told what they are. Why would I defraud my parents if I love them or dishonor them? Why would I covet what somebody else has if, if I love them? Why would I commit adultery if I love my own and I love myself? Why would I do that? Do you understand? All those things come from a faith that's dead, not a living faith that wants to love and continue to pour out love. And what do we do? We justify spewing out garbage out of our mouths and our thoughts and our attitudes and say, it's okay, you know, I had a bad day. I was angry. Scripture says, in your anger, do not sin. <coughs> oh, you mean I can't sin when I'm angry? Well, that's not fair, God. I didn't write it. I just read it. Now I'm quoting it back. It says a couple places in Scripture, just in case we forget the first one. <laughs> but, 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 Pastor, uh, is there anything else that a living faith does? Yes. It seeks to honor. It seeks to forgive. It seeks to give others the benefit of the doubt. It seeks to make reconciliation in relationships, whether they're ours or somebody else's. Trying to make those things reconcile in godly terms, in godly ways. They were always about God in the other person. God in our world. And it doesn't matter if we've been defrauded or not. I brought that passage to your attention last week or the week before where it said, why not just let yourself be defrauded? Why not let yourself be cheated? Why not? Because... Love isn't a part of that equation. It's fear. It's loss. It's anger. It's unforgiveness. It's bitterness. None of those things are from God. I promise you, God does not make you bitter. God does not make you angry. God does not make you uh, unwilling to forgive. None of these are from God. And yet we justify a walk with Christ that says this is okay. James says, and I'll say it again, dead faith. The demons and non-believers do the same thing. What makes you different if you do the same thing? 
question I want to ask. So what kind of faith do we have as a church and individuals? What do we believe God for? What do we believe God in? What do we believe God's doing through us as individuals and as a church that's transforming the world around us because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, which we couldn't do without it? What's God doing through you? If you say, I I don't know, you need to get on your knees and come to me and say, help me find out how to be a, a lightning rod of God's work through me because I'm not. I need to be that. Your life will show the works of a living faith if you have it. Bottom line. And so if you say, I I don't see anything, you better start praying again. God, do I have a living faith or is my faith a dead faith? Do I think that me saying I believe in Jesus and that He died and and He's my Savior is enough of a faith to save me? The answer is no. The demons believe that. Satan knows that. And he thinks, if he whispers in your ear, you did that, you're okay. You're not. It's not okay. You're D-E-A-D, dead faith. Your faith transforms. God's faith transforms. You don't get stuck there. You start there. Now do you understand why so many churches are stuck? So many individuals are stuck? It breaks my heart. And here it is clearly in this passage. If we would have just looked at it in context and seen, oh, it's not a faith or it's dying because I'm not doing anything for God. It's I don't have it. If I don't have any fruit, I don't have any root. If I don't have any works, I have not a live faith. Because faith that's dead is also a verb faith. <laughs> it's you're dying and dead. Same process, but an ongoing dying process of a dead person. Gradually. But a living faith is alive and growing and it comes forth in works. That's why it's so hard for people to say, well, look here, I've done all these things, and therefore God should bless me. Your works won't save you. Those works come from a seed faith that says God is using me for these purposes. Not to show God I love Him and I deserve, but that He is in me doing those things and I'm thankful He's letting me and showing me. And if you think, wow, man, that's really heavy. You know, that's pretty tough. Don't read verse 18. Because it's worse. And that's next week. But for now, we need to understand faith in its true sense. And understand what dead faith is. And what living faith is. Once again, dead faith is a diluted faith. It has empty works. It creates acts of division. And it is a D-E-A-D faith. Dead faith. Would you pray with me? God, I know that You uh, you love unconditionally. When You tell us that our faith, that we have is a dead faith, uh, we sometimes go, Oh God, I'm so bad, I'm horrible. But You're not looking at it like that. 
You're looking at it like someone has just been given a diagnosis and the cure is standing right in front of them. And so, Heavenly Father, this morning when we receive the Word and hear it, and don't forget what we look like to You as either dead or living faith, that we truly come before You and acknowledge that, not with shame, not with embarrassment, but as an acknowledgement that You are God. And that we walk by that faith that You said could be ours if we would just come to You. Heavenly Father, I so many times tried to look at things and say, well, look what I, how I'm not measuring up and taking it as a shameful thing. But Heavenly Father, You're not judging me. That's the world telling me that I can't talk about it because it's, it's bad. And it would look bad and embarrassing because I haven't followed through. But You don't say that at all. You say, I love You, my precious child. I knew You weren't good at those areas. And that's why I gave my son so you could have it an opportunity to transform from the inside because your actions won't change your heart. Only I can when I plant my seed in you. And Heavenly Father, when you spoke that word to me, it began to make things a lot more clear. And so I ask this morning that you speak that truth into each heart with the seed of faith that you transform a heart that we can't change ourselves. We can't transform ourselves and we certainly can't transform this world. But you can through us, in us, when you're doing it to us. So Heavenly Father, help us acknowledge your truth and resist the enemy's attacks today. I pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.